right, let's jump in. This morning, we're coming back to uh, our series that we've been on called My New Year's Revolution. We're exploring how to go beyond just making some empty resolutions, you know, that everybody makes at the new year that we'll usually probably give up by February. How to go beyond that. Now, let me ask you a question. Be really honest. Be really honest. Don't feel like you got to raise your hand, you know, just to make me feel really good or something like that. How many of you, since we've started this series, how many of you have done something different? have done something different to start your own New Year's revolution in your life. A revolution, not just more resolutions. Amen? Some good hands. All right, all right. That's encouraging. Now listen, I bet if I asked how many of you have succeeded at everything you've been trying, I bet there'd be a a lot less hands, right? That's okay. I just want to tell you right now, that is okay. See, the the, the biggest thing we, we fail at is quitting. That's the thing everybody fails at you know, is quitting. And so when, you, when, you, when you're trying to do this stuff, remember what we're talking about. When we're talking about this revolutions, we're going beyond empty resolutions. We're talking about how to make deep, lasting change, right? That, that stuff on the inside out, not just change on the outside, not just change in a few behaviors here and there, but we're talking about down in our DNA. That's what we want to make here. So it's okay. I'm really not concerned. It's okay if, like, you haven't, like, started doing something real habitually yet, you know, that, that you wanted to do. And uh, you started, maybe you did it one day, and then you didn't do it two days or three days. And, and then, you know, the fourth day, you were just tired from feeling guilty about day two and three. So you, you didn't do it on day four either. That's okay. We're talking about change on the inside. We're allowing God to change who we are. Okay? I really want that to get across. We're allowing God to change who we are, not just what we do, so we can be instruments of change to the world. Okay, we can't be instruments of change if we're not changed. If we're just playing make-believe, like I'm not really changed on the inside, but I'm gonna try to like make myself do all these things, it's not gonna last, it's not gonna work, and it's not gonna inspire anybody around you, because that's what we want too. We want you to not only be changed yourself, but we want you to change the world. And when you become changed on the inside, when, you, when God starts to change who you are, that's a whole different ballgame, guys, right? You cannot help but change the people around you. Then you cannot help change your circumstances. The atmosphere around you will change when you are changed. Not just changing what you do, but who you are, down to your DNA. That's what we're asking God to do. It's revolution, not resolutions that last. Revolution lasts. It's not just learning another list of things we want to add to our day. It's not just getting up 10 minutes earlier to do something. That's good, but that's, that's really not the point. The point is change in here. That is what's going to change other people around us, okay? It, and, and you know what? To do that, what we found, it's kind of changed the whole way we were going to approach this series because when we started praying about this and we started asking God, God, okay, I don't just want to preach a little fun little new, new resolution sermon or series. I, I want to change inside. The thing we found, the thing we found, the, the, what the voice that was speaking was saying, it's not about adding some more stuff to your day. It's about getting rid of some stuff first, right? So that's why we've been kind of on this thing about dropping some baggage. What is, what we have to honestly admit, what we need to drop from our life. Let me ask you a question. If you went out and bought an airplane ticket, okay? Remember a few weeks ago we had flight 2015, right? So we're kind of treating this like a journey, journey 2015. Um, if, if you went out and bought an airplane ticket and you were getting on a plane, first of all, what's the number one thing you hope doesn't happen? Exactly. You, you hope it doesn't crash. That's a given. 
Okay, let's say your flight goes really well and you land. What's the next most important thing you hope doesn't happen? Your luggage, right? Losing your bags. Is there anything worse than that, right? This happened to me one time. I was traveling with my father-in-law. We were going to Africa. Africa, it was awesome, yeah. And uh, I was newly married to his daughter, so I really wanted to impress him too, you know. And uh, so we're going to Africa, and we land in Africa. Uh, it's, a, it's a long way if you haven't been there. It's, it's a long drive if you want to drive it. Um, so, yeah, at the end of, like, you know, 24 hours of whatever it takes to travel there, you land in, in Nairobi, Kenya. We're so excited. And we get off the plane. All the little team, where there were a little missions team, and everybody's got their bags, and as they're getting their bags, they're over, huddling up, you know, against the wall. And here's dumb old me, still standing by the, the rack that's going round and round. And there's fewer and fewer and fewer bags on that thing, and finally there's no more bags on there. And I'm just, oh, no, I'm in Africa, and everything was in there. And uh, it is not easy to go up to your new father-in-law and ask him if you can start wearing some of his underwear. <laughs> that, you know what, that's like a, instantly ramps up the, the, the relationship level. You skip like 15 years right there, am I right? We both cried about it, right? <laughs> He's very generous though, he didn't want him back. Such a generous man. He said, no, those are yours. Those are yours now. Yeah. We took it to a whole new level. That was awesome. So, yeah, praise God, though. We were there like a week, and we were out in the, went out into the bush, you know, the, the uh, Maasai Mara out there. And one day, they told us over the radio to the little place we were staying at with the tents, and they said that there's a plane coming, going to land on this dirt strip, and they've got your suitcase. And we went out there, and sure enough, this little tiny plane came. Can you believe that? That was awesome. Thank you, Lord. So, and he still didn't want his clothes back. Uh, but that was awesome. That was awesome. Okay, imagine this, though. So losing your bags, that's no good. Imagine this. Say you're flying somewhere. Let's say, guys, let's say you're going on a trip to Paris with your beautiful wife. All right? Oh, you're so excited. This is going to be romantic. I mean, Paris, right? Paris. We're going... Me and you, honey. We've been saving for this trip for three years. It's going to be awesome. And let's say before you go on the trip, you're in a conversation with, like, your weird neighbor. And, you know, the, 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 the weird one, the guy with the, you know, those signs in the yard? Um, I can say that because I'm the guy with the signs in the yard. That, that weird neighbor. Yeah, you're talking to him. You're like, yeah, going to Paris. And he's like, whoa, no way. No way you're going to Paris? I've got a cousin there. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. This is perfect. This is perfect. Now you're feeling it. You're feeling it. Mm. Mm. Why, why is it perfect? <laughs> I've got this dog. I need to get to him. I've got this great Dane. Oh, he's so sweet. He's like a big lovable bear. If you could just take it with you on the plane, you check it on. We'll put him in the little kennel thing. You just take it on. The, you know, you check him into the special thing. And then when you land there, you just get him off. And you find, I'll give you the address where he lives. It's just on the outskirts of town, right? You find it, you'll probably have to find one of those big cabs. But, you know, you, you, can, you can, and you just take it to him. This is perfect. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay, wow, right? Because you're that guy who can't say no. You didn't read the book Boundaries or anything like that. So <laughs> you're just like, okay, sure, all right. Oh, man. Oh, man. Now, let me ask you an honest question. 
you're flying there, you're thinking about this, your wife won't talk to you the whole way on the trip because you said yes. And let's say you land and you get off the plane and the little man with the little mustache comes up to you and he says, Monsieur, we are very sorry. I'm afraid we have misplaced a piece of your luggage. It sounds like he's from Ecuador. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my French Hispanic accent. <laughs> so your first thought is, oh, great. I got to take a dog to this guy's house that I don't even know, and I don't have any luggage. And then you go, which piece of luggage? And he goes, we are very sorry. It was the poopy dog. Oh, man, you are going to be doing some dancing. You're going to be singing. You and your wife are going to be singing. You're going to be going, oh, baby, we don't have to take the dog to the other guy's house. The stupid dog, he might have fell in the ocean. I don't know. I don't care. Hallelujah. Right? Right? No dog. Maybe he's still in Houston. I don't know. It's a real shame. Hallelujah. You're going to be doing the dance of joy, right? Right. Sometimes, sometimes when you're, when you're journeying, when you're journeying to, to enjoy yourself, to have a successful journey, the secret to that, a flourishing journey, what you, what you journeyed for, the, to, to, to realize the purpose of why you were journeying, it isn't in making sure you have packed every last thing you could possibly maybe need on that trip. Sometimes the secret is the luggage, the baggage you were able to leave behind. That's the secret. That's the secret. What you were able to leave behind. Now, in week one, uh, I'm just quick recap because it's been a little while. So in week one, we talked about the heavy burden of hidden sin. You guys remember that? How instead of sitting there in your seat suffering in silence and carrying around that bondage of our sins and the guilt of it, and then piled on top is the shame and you can't tell anybody because you will feel guilty and you'll be embarrassing and all that kind of stuff. You know what? We, we talked about how the church ought to be the place where we can come and get real. Amen? Does anybody believe that but me? This ought to be the place we can come and get real, where we can find freedom from sin. This isn't the place. Where did it start where this was the place where you got to come and hide the sin and pretend like it's not there? This ought to be the place in this whole community you can come and get really real. We can find freedom from sin, find love in the face of another human being as you confess to them your sin. This ought to be that place, right? Then in week two, we talked about that stifling burden of busyness that so many of us carry every single day of our life, that busyness that can drive us to an early grave, keep us from the things that truly matter to us. And how God said, you know what, my will for you is that you actually walk in peace and rest and health every single day. Not just two weeks a year when your employer lets you off. That you actually walk in rest and peace and health every day of your life. Because you know what he said? My yoke fits perfectly. It doesn't rub or chafe. It fits just right, and my burden is light. That's what God says. So, that's, that's what we've been talking about. This morning, we're going to talk about how to drop some more baggage 
keeping you from experiencing revolution in your life and doing what you know you were meant to do. And what we're talking about, we're talking about losing the baggage of fear, the baggage of your fears. These things are holding you back from what you know you were born to do. How many of you know you were born for more than whatever you're experiencing right now? You ever get that sense, right? Some days you can kind of push that sort of anxiety down and be like, I don't want to think about that too much. And some days it'll keep you up at night when it hits you. I was born for more than this. I was born for more than this. And usually what's holding us back, it's not other people. It's not you you drew the short straw in life. It's your fear. Your fear holding you back. If you got your Bibles, let's turn to um, Matthew 14. Matthew 14. We're going to look at two um, pretty famous Bible stories this morning. But this first one is about the water. Let me set the scene. It's 3 a.m., the disciples are in a boat. 3 a.m., that's nighttime, the disciples are in a boat. They're fighting this headwind in the Sea of Galilee. And the seas were angry that night, my friend. <laughs> right? Like an old man ordering soup in a deli. <laughs> that's a Seinfeld. Shout out. There. All right. So they're, they're in this boat. They're not making much progress, apparently, because even in this boat, rowing and sails or whatever they got, you know, I'm not an expert, but they had something to make them go forward. There's a guy walking who catches up with him. In chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake like you do. The disciples saw him walking on the lake. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. I love how they instantly went there, of all places. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, if it is you, tell me to come out to you on the water. For what it's worth, Jesus has this amazing habit of showing up when we least expect him. When we least expect him. The disciples have no category for this experience, right? This isn't like, oh, again, you know, Jesus walking on the water again. This hadn't happened before, apparently, you know, that we know of. Nobody else had done this so far. So this is kind of a new thing. Um, I love Peter's reaction. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now remember, it's nighttime, three in the morning. The water's deep. It's the Sea of Galilee. And Peter's still, by his words, he's still not entirely sure it's Jesus and not a ghost. Because he says, if it is you. So he's not even reached that place of certainty. He's not even right there going, oh, it's definitely Jesus. I'm going to get out and go see him. He's going, if it is you, ask me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. Verse 29, then Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water. What? And came toward Jesus. Notice, it doesn't say, and Peter got out of the boat and sank to the bottom of the sea, never to be seen again. And all his friends wondered for years why he would do something so stupid. (laughs) No, he walked on water. There's only two people in history to have done this now. But but then, of course, Peter, he has one of those moments where what he is doing kind of dawns on him. You ever have that moment? I have that a lot, standing right here. Holy moly, what in the world am I doing? You know, I, I have that moment. You ever have that moment? It's like a tightrope walker, and he's, he's doing his thing. He's in the zone, and then all of a sudden he kind of gets out of the zone and goes, 
why did I make this career choice? What am I doing this for? Not smart. Verse, uh, verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He stopped focusing on Jesus right there, and he started sinking in the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. And I've, I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. You know, your focus, I've heard this said, I didn't make this up. Your focus determines your reality, where you're focusing. It determines your reality, and nothing has changed. In 2,000 years, your focus determines your reality. If we take our focus off Jesus, we start to get overly preoccupied with, with uh, us and the circumstances around us, and focus on that, we began to sink. Now, I gotta say, I, I feel for Peter. I, I think he kind of gets a bum rap. I really do. Because, you know, he's known, oh, the disciple who sank, right? This is the guy who sank. But here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. I think sinking is better than sitting. Sinking is better than sitting. It's easy to criticize Peter from the comfort of the boat. You know, we're here in the boat. <laughs> wow, his faith must not have been super great, right? Look, after he walked on water for a little while, he started to sink, right? That's easy. I love what uh, Teddy Roosevelt says. Teddy Roosevelt, you, this is a long quote. Watch, listen to this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and who strives valiantly and who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spins himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end of the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who have never known neither victory or defeat. Oh, I wish I had made that up. That's cool, right? Cold, timid souls who've never known victory or defeat. I think of those as careful people. <laughs> when everything is said and done, I think our greatest regrets are going to be the risks that we didn't take. The risks we didn't take. We're not going to regret sinking. We're going to regret sitting. The, the German writer Goethe, he said this, Hell begins the day God grants you the vision to see all you could have done, should have done, would have done, but did not do. <sighs> That'll keep you up at night. Yeah, Peter sank. How many of us would have walked on the water? The other 11 disciples, they're playing it safe, right? They're playing not to lose, but Peter's playing to win. We have a core value here at G Church. We dream dangerously because we relish the risk. We dream dangerously because we relish the risk. Now, let me ask you something. Is that really true? Is that true for you? Because you're a generation's church. Okay, I'm not talking about the building, this building dreams in, you know, dangerously. <laughs> this means you and me dream dangerously, we relish the risk. Those are moments where God tends to show up and do really cool stuff. That's why we relish the risk. Is that true? To put it in the context of the story, if you never get out of the boat, you'll never walk on water. 
It's that simple. And I can hear the disciples. Imagine them reminiscing years later, right? And, and they're talking about their experiences with Jesus. And I can, I, could, I can hear Peter saying, remember that night? Remember that night Jesus came walking on the water and he called me out of the boat and I actually walked on water? That was awesome. And the other disciples, the other 11, they're nodding their heads, but you know, inside they're kicking themselves, probably. Because they had the opportunity. Jesus didn't say, it's only one, only one of you can come. They had the opportunity, but they stayed in the boat. I don't know. I, th I think walking on water would be a pretty cool uh, thing to have on your resume of experiences, right? If you're ever at a really boring party and the conversation's at a lull, you could just go, hey, I walked on water once. <laughs> for, for a few seconds, I did. Great conversation piece. You'd be the life of the party. So walking on water, that's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And, and like all once-in-a-lifetime experience, it requires risk. Once in a lifetime experience. No risk, no reward. If you want to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. I wonder if the other 11 disciples lived in any regret about that moment. They did wonderful, great things. But that one, oh, you think that nagged at them? They could have walked on the water, but they stayed in the boat. Here's the, here's the deal. 2,000 years after Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, Jesus is still saying, come. He's still saying, come. He's still inviting us to get out of the boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of the lake, and walk to him on the water. He's still inviting us to dream dangerously. And we have a choice. You could stay in that boat and drown in regret. There he is, our little friend, the crow. <laughs> Rick was just asking me, where have the crows been lately? <laughs> Rick, I blame you now. <laughs> you have a choice. You can stay in the boat, and you'll drown in regret. Or you can get out of the boat and walk on water. Now, let me make another observation. Just human nature. It's easy for us to fixate when we talk about sin, sins of, of commission, the things you did wrong right? Don't do this. Don't do that. It's kind of like holiness by subtraction. I heard someone say that. We think holiness is the byproduct of subtracting something from our lives so it shouldn't be there, and that makes us holy. And holiness does involve that. There are things that, that we need to not do. But I wonder if God isn't more vexed by our sins of omission sins of omission, the things that we could have done, the things that we should have done, the opportunities he's put right in front of us. Because God calls us, you know, not just to like cower all day in our closet. That's not, that's not your, your point, your purpose in life. You know, fear of making a mistake. I'm going to stay home. I won't do anything wrong. I'm not going to make any mistakes. That fear of failure. He hasn't called us to that. He's called us to be doers, right? How many times has he said, doers, be doers, right? Do this, do this. That's the point Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 25. He says this, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these things, you did not do to me. See, there's nothing in that scripture that says you did anything wrong. Goodness isn't the absence of badness. You can actually do nothing wrong and do nothing right. Right? 
Success is, is doing the best we can with what we have where we are. The best we can with what we have where we are. And it's making the most of every opportunity. Just let that phrase ring out in your ears all week long. Make the most of every opportunity. God, help me to make the most of every opportunity. Because it might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That person that God brings by you might be the last time they walk by you for the rest of your life. That might be the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Seeing and seizing God-given opportunities. I love the way uh, John Maxwell, he puts it like this. Potential is God's gift to us, but what we do with it is, God, is our gift to God. Our potential is God's gift to us. What you do with it is your gift to God. And, and I'm absolutely convinced that our greatest regrets are going to be regrets of inaction. Yes, we're, we're, we have things that we regret doing, but I think it's the things that we don't do that tend to haunt us for years. So, now that I've completely bummed you out, right? What do you do this morning? If you're like me, and you're a normal human being, and you are filled with those regrets of missed opportunities, of failures, what do you do? What now? Here's my advice. Don't wallow in those failures another moment. Learn from them. Learn from them. Change. Repent. That's what repent means, is to turn. Just turn right now right? Regrets are a fact of life. They are. I, I, I've said this before. I've never been someone who's real comfortable with that uh, saying, no regrets. You know, you, you hear people on like television say that or something like that. I just believe in living with no regrets, right? And it sounds like really cool and positive, but I have to say, you haven't, I'm sure, but I have hurt people in my life. And I feel like they deserve, at the very least, for me to regret that, right? So for me to say, no regrets. Well, I feel like I'm kind of slapping people in the face again. So I don't, I don't believe in that. Henry David Thoreau, he had a good way of looking at it. He said this, to regret deeply is to live afresh. To regret deeply is to live afresh. That's really, when you think about it, it's not a bad description of repentance. To regret deeply and then live afresh. It's, it's not just feeling bad about what we did or didn't do. It's learning from it and changing because of it. That is how we become people being changed by God to change the world around us. Not people racked with guilt, not walking around racked with guilt and fear, but people who are ready to step out of the boat. That's what we want to be. Amen? Matthew 14, this story, it's, it's a microcosm on life. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And the boat in this story, it represents all of our security blankets, everything that's comfortable, everything that we know, our comfort zone, all of our human limitations. That's the boat. And Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. As you know, don't be afraid in the NIV, it says don't be afraid in the King James, it says fear not. That phrase, don't be afraid or fear not, it is repeated 366 times in the Old and the New Testament. It, it is the most common command in Scripture. Did you know that? It's the most common command in Scripture. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. He tells us over and over. Anytime 
anytime you do something for the first time, it's going to be scary, right? It's always scary, but that's part of the growth process. As, as a dad, I've got two little boys. I'm always trying to get my kids to push the envelope of their fears, right? I've got one. It, it's a real challenge, and you know, because he, he's a cautious boy, and so I'm always trying to get him to face his fears and push the envelope. You can do that. I've got another one. I've got to tell him maybe get off the roof, <laughs> right? But but you, you want your kids to be able to face their fears. John Ortberg, he says, God has a habit of asking people to do things that are scary to them. And that's so true. Have you ever noticed that? It's like God knows that something about it, we're most likely to depend on him when we're being stretched, right? He knows that. It's not by accident that he's asking you to do scary stuff. He's not just a masochist. He wants you to depend on him. He wants you to depend on him. For me, you know, moment of honesty. I'll get the couch out. Um, I, I've always had a fear of failure. A fear of failure. It's like, as long as I haven't gotten to that point and actually failed, everything's okay. Is anybody else like that? Um, I gotta be honest. I want guaranteed success. You know, if I'm gonna kind of do something, I, I want, I really need it to look like this is really pretty much a sure thing. There's something in me that wants to plan and plan and plan. And my friends make fun of me because, you know, the charts and graphs that I make and then, you know, all the kind of stuff. I, I like that. I like that. And eventually I have to face the reality that, you know, I'm still planning because it means that I haven't failed yet. Really. How many of us have done that? It just means you haven't failed yet. And at some point, you got to put your fears behind you and step out of the boat. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters. This is a weird scripture. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Now, I've thrown bread in the water, and I, I don't, I come back days later, and it's still not there. I don't know exactly. This is pretty counterintuitive, but somehow the Bible says that we got to let it go, and then before we could get it back, we got to let it go. And in verse 4, Let's see, did I already go there? Here we go. Verse 4, it says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever's sitting there making his charts and graphs will not plant. How, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Oh, I don't know. It's, eh, there's a cloud. I better not. I don't know. It's, it might not be the perfect time yet. If we wait for perfect conditions, right, we're going to be waiting the rest of our lives. The rest of our lives. I remember Mel and I talking about back before we had kids, we were like, oh, we're going to have, we're going to have children someday. And, uh, you know, not right now because, you know, we're trying to get out of debt and, you know, we just bought a house and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And, oh, we're pregnant, right? <laughs> That's the way it usually happens, <laughs> right? It's, if you wait for the perfect conditions, it never happens. Sometimes the, the best cure for our fears is failure. The best cure for that fear of failure is to just fail, is to go after it. For me, that's true. It's the times I've stepped out finally and just fallen flat on my face, right in front of everybody, that have actually helped me get over the fear of it, right? Because after the humiliation of the drama of the moment, right, you look back and you go, hey, actually, you know, the world didn't crumble. The sky didn't fall. We're all still here. Failure kind of releases you from the fear of failure. This week, we were at a conference, and I heard someone say that, that very thing. Um, I heard Rich Wilkerson, incredible speaker. Wil Rich, Wilkerson, Rich Wilkerson Jr., he put it this way, strength is not measured by how many times I fail, but how many times I get back up. 
it's not measuring how many times you fail, but how many times you get back up. Getting out of that boat is, is all about taking that first step of faith when Jesus says, come, take it, take that step of faith. And you're not gonna experience true revolution in your life that we're talking about until you become convinced that even sinking is better than sitting, right? Sinking is better than sitting. Jesus even told his disciples, guys, remember before he ascended to heaven, this is uh, the, the Scott version of the Bible. He said, guys, let's be honest. You might die out there. You probably are. Um, but it was worth it to each of those disciples because every single one of those guys, they knew in their heart of hearts that without Jesus, they were dead already. They were the walking dead. They knew that. So, so yeah, there's some risk in following Jesus. Jesus, following Jesus can be scary, but it is not as scary as not following Jesus. There is nothing scarier than having no God to run to, than not having Jesus on your side. I read a statistic that made me kind of laugh, and then I felt bad for laughing, but it said that every year, a half million Americans visit the emergency room for injuries sustained falling out of bed every year. I mean, if you have fallen out of bed and hurt yourself, I'm so sorry. But every year, you know what that means, though, when I read that? It means you can stay in bed and stay asleep all day, and you're still not safe, right? You can stay home. You're still not safe. Half a million of you going to the emergency room for falling out of bed. We might say it this way. The greatest risk is taking no risks. The greatest risk is taking no risks. That's the principle of the parable of the talents. You remember that? When Jesus gave out the five talents, the, the three and the one, he gave out these talents, and he commends the two men who took a risk, who invested it, they doubled their money, and they made a return. But Jesus, he takes away the talent from the servant who buries it. The moral of that story is use it or lose it, right? Because God has given you talents. He's given you gifts. He's given you passions. Use it or lose it. Following Jesus is risky, but it's not as risky as not following Jesus. So face your fears. Step out in faith. Walking on water requires that you take that first step, okay? Sometimes that step that you take, it isn't some huge grand gesture, but it's a, just a small act of courage that has huge consequences. And Scripture is filled with people, common people with uncommon courage. Scripture's full of those people. Uh, three of them are found in Daniel 3. This is our uh, next story here, our second story we're going to look at called Fire. King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this 90-foot golden image. He commands every Babylonian to bow and worship before it. And three Jewish men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take a stand, literally. He tells everybody to bow. Everybody in the whole region, bow. And they stand, and they refuse to bow. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, Guys, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. That's the penalty. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I remember being a kid and hearing this story in children's church with the flannel graphs and everything. They could have said to themselves, these, and I remember thinking, that's what I would have done. They could have said to themselves, you know what, guys? We're going we're gonna to bow on the outside, but we're not bowing on the inside. <laughs> High five. Right? They could have found a way to justify bowing. 
But even with the, the, the threat of the fiery furnace, they refused to bow. You know the story. It takes courage in, in verse 16. Um, let's see. There we are. Verse 16. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Courage is doing the right thing in God's sight, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences Regardless if it's going to lose you a little bit of money you could have saved if you just don't report that. Courage is doing what is right. There comes a time when you've got to take a stand. Sometimes it means stepping out into the water. Sometimes it means stepping into the fire. You want revolution in your life, like real revolution. You want to change. You don't just want to keep spinning your wheels. There comes a time you've got to take a stand. You need to do what's right in God's sight. You've got to have the faith to say, you know what, I'm not playing by the world's rules anymore. I'm not going to bow to the gods of this culture. I'm not going to do it the way everybody else is doing it. There's got to be a better way. I'm, I bow to the king of kings, and he will see me through. Notice back up at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. You want to talk courage. Sometimes not defending yourself is the most courageous act of all. In Matthew 27, we, we hear how Jesus is standing before Pilate. He's on trial. All kinds of false accusations are flying against, they're being hurled against the Son of God, right? But Jesus it says he doesn't defend himself. Isaiah even prophesied that that, that would happen. It say, Isaiah said he was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Now, I have a theory about Jesus. I think Jesus probably could have talked his way out of any situation he wanted to. He's a pretty good communicator. He ran verbal circles around those uh, Pharisees when they were always trying to trap him, you know? He'd always say the jujitsu move, you know, the, the thing that they were like, what? Oh, man. You know, he, Jesus was good. He could have won this argument, but that wasn't his goal. His goal wasn't to win the argument. Our goal isn't always to win the argument. His goal was to win salvation by going to the cross, submitting himself to the cross, and it had to be an amazing act of willpower. Because, yes, he's God, but he's man. So it took willpower. Jesus kept his mouth closed. And he refused to defend himself. Matthew 27, it says that Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. And his silence speaks volumes, right? Courage is the willingness. It's to, the willingness to put ourselves in vulnerable situations put ourselves out there, to confess our sin to one another, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, to step out in faith, to say no to that culture of busyness, maybe even by turning down a promotion. That's the, that takes courage, turn down something, because you know, I think that's going to hurt my family, it's going to kill me, to speak the truth and love to somebody who may bite our hand, but we want to speak truth and, and love. 
And so we, we leave ourselves totally exposed to rejection and failure. But we, we do it because it's right in God's sight. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had courage no matter what because they believed that God was able to save them. This kind of courage comes down to this. How big is your God? How big is your God? If you believe that God can do anything, then you have nothing to be afraid of. If you believe the God of the universe who loves you can do anything, what do you have to fear? And imagine what you would be capable of if you had no fear. Imagine. So what happens in the story? Well, you know how the story goes. The king is so impressed by their words, he says, all right, you guys, that's cool. Y'all go home. You're awesome. Y'all don't have to bow. No, that's not what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take a stand. They stand for God, and they get thrown into a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three guys we tied up and threw into that fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. It says they came out and their hair wasn't even singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. That's what we would have turned and we were like, well, I appreciate that, but actually, king, you don't have to do that. That's cool. We want to love people. Um, that came with Jesus. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What a way to get a promotion, right? Their act of courage, it changed the course of history. It really did. See, because Nebuchadnezzar, he put his faith in Jehovah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got promoted, and the Jewish people were given protected status in the Babylonian kingdom. That was a game changer. So listen, my, my prayer for us in 2015 is that we would have the courage to share our faith, the courage to speak truth in love, the courage to confess, the courage to believe the impossible, the courage to step out in faith, the courage to put ourselves in defenseless positions, the courage to do what is right in God's sight, the courage to take a stand, because human souls are at stake. Human souls. Your life is a story. But more importantly, your life is a series of God-given opportunities. God-given opportunities, one after the next. That is your life. Opportunities to love, opportunities to serve, to learn, opportunities to share, opportunities to give, opportunities to not win the argument opportunities to give of yourself. Either we're going to have the courage to seize those God-given opportunities or, or we'll end up regretting the moments that we missed. I'll bring this to a close here. One of, I want to tell you, one of my uh, 
sports heroes is a baseball player. And I don't even like watch baseball that much, but this guy was pretty cool. And he's someone who just retired, who, who retired from the Astros a, a few years back, but he just got accepted into the Hall of Fame, Craig Biggio. And what's cool about Craig is he's the first Houston Astro to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Isn't that cool? Craig Biggio. So he just got voted into the Hall of Fame. Now, he's, he's famous. He was a great player, but he, he is famous for a very unusual record, which he, he nearly set. He came in second, and that is most times getting hit by the ball in the batter's box. Did y'all know that about Craig Biggio? Some of you guys knew that. Craig Biggio, he got hit more than all but one player in baseball history. He earned a bruise 285 times during his 20-year career with the Astros. The other remarkable thing about Craig Biggio is he never once charged the pitcher's mound, which is kind of the thing you do after the second or third time, right? Because you go, oh, I'm going to cut you, you know. And But he didn't. He always said, no, I never felt the need to do that. Now, here's the thing. It's one thing. It's, it's one thing. It's got to be one thing to go out there and you take a swing and you get hit by a pitch. That would hurt a lot. But the courage comes in on the second time you come up to the plate. When it's your time again, now everything's different, right? That's when I would get really twitchy, right? I'd be staying away back here, you know, <laughs> right? But he would get right up in the, you know, you guys know how he would play. He would get right up in there. That ball came anywhere near him, he'd just lean into it, right? The courage is getting back in there in that second time. And he had 285 opportunities to get back into the box a second time after getting smacked. 285 times. That's pretty cool. So what this tells me is this. For many of us here, our fears are not based on some imaginary fear of failure some potential for failure. For some of us, they're fears that have been brought on by a real smack in the face. Some of you, your fears aren't imagined. They have come true. And it's tough to get back in that batter's box after you have been relationally hit by a pitch. Amen? It feels like betrayal. It's tough. Maybe you struggle today with the fear of intimacy because you got really close to someone and you got really hurt. And you know what? You've got to get back in the batter's box. You've got to step back in there because if you don't, see what happens is you'll be robbed. You'll forever surrender any chance at intimacy with somebody. Or maybe for you, it's the fear of rejection. And maybe that rejection has happened. And so you're now you're gun-shy. Rejection from a person. Maybe it's a rejection letter from a company or a school. You have to remember, those rejections, they feel personal, but they don't define you. Rejection doesn't define you. I heard this just this past week, the amazing author and speaker, Bob Goff, he said it so well. He said, don't let other people decide who you are. Only God gets to name us. Don't let anybody decide who you are. God gets to name you. Or maybe for you, it is the fear of failure. Whatever is the source of your fears and your anxieties, don't let those fears and failures keep you in 2015.
from stepping up, from stepping out into the water, stepping into the fire, stepping up to the batter's box. Let go of that baggage of the fear and give them to the God who wants to change you so he can turn you into a world changer. That's what God wants to do with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are so great. You're so mighty. And you've told us so many times that you are on our side. And Father, the fears that we, we bring in, we, that we bring before you to your throne room, the fears feel so real to us, Lord God. They feel so personal and terrifying. We thank you, Lord God, that you are bigger than those fears. That You said we can lay them at your feet, that we are the head and not the tail, that our story ends in a good way, that you have a good future for us, that you want to, to help us, Father God, not to harm us, that you have hope and future for us. I thank you, Lord God, for your patience and your love. And I thank you, Lord God, that every person here not only is able to hand over their fears to you, Lord God, to put those fears behind them so they can step out of the boat, step into the fire, step up to the plate, Lord God. I thank you that we can be your hands and feet, Father God. And we can be that face of love that someone else right beside us needs to help them conquer their fears. We can encourage one another that, that there is a better tomorrow, that what has happened in the past doesn't necessarily have to happen again, and that you have something greater. You have something greater. And no matter what happens around us, Lord God, that you are greater and that you define us. Our failures don't define us. I thank you, Lord God. Our regrets don't define us. Our fears don't define us. The rejection that we have had in our life don't, doesn't define us, Father God. You define us. Thank you, Father God, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for, for doing a revolution in us from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Amen. Ask our prayer partners to come forward. And if you're here this morning, for real, if you're here this morning and you have anything at all that you need prayer with, appear about, come and let these awesome people pray with you. They're full of faith. They can pray about, I bet, anything under the sun. I bet nothing, nothing throws y'all for a loop, does it? Y'all have seen it all, right? Y'all aren't gonna be shocked and go, whoa, hey, I haven't seen that before. These guys, let me tell you what, these are pros, these are generals, these are prayer ninjas. <laughs>